From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. And I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast. This episode was recorded on April 12, 2022. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hey, Beth. Hey, Suzanne. We're back again. We're back I have a pink t-shirt on. I have pink fingernails. What's it's going on here? Springtime. Is it? S- springtime is going on, Beth. I don't know if you've been outside. I'm very excited about springtime, and there are so many good books that have come out, you know, over the past couple months and are coming out. It's crazy. It's it's daunting. Do you not feel like it's daunting yes. sometimes? And you have to just put that out of your mind because... You know a little secret, Beth. You're never going to read them all. Are you sure? <laughs> no, I know you take it as a challenge, but I don't think you are. I do have a vacation coming up, but it's a traveling vacation. We've threatened taking reading vacations yes, before. Yes, we'll we have to should. Do that. that would actually be work-related, wouldn't it? Yes, Can't it would. We? They should pay us to do that. <laughs> just go just go home and read. Hey, Deborah. I hope you're listening. Well, <laughs> I think companies should, you know, schools have, around this time every year, they have the drop everything and read. Or maybe they'll do it like once a month or once a week or whatever. It's called DEAR. (laughs) Because it took me a minute for the acronym to catch into my brain. But drop everything and read. And it's like, wouldn't that be great in workplaces? You know, there's a store in St. Louis. It's uh, Left Bank Books. They used to have this reading around the clock thing where they would invite local authors to come and sit in the window and read for an hour. And they would just be like on display in their window. (laughs) Like a a art exhibition. Yes, I'm pretty sure Scott Phillips, who's a Wichita native, he lives in St. Louis now. And I'm pretty sure he's taken up. That's cool. I'm going to go ahead and put this out into the world that if anyone would like me to do such an art exhibition, just sit (laughs) in a chair (laughs) behind some window and read, I'll be more than willing to do that. Okay, so send send that (laughs) to info at Kami w.org yes and we'll get it taken care of i will be your reader behind <laughs> glass uh what have you been reading lately beth i've been reading it feels like it's kind of all over the place um you know one of the first books i want to talk about is is a kind of a graphic it's not even a novel it's a it's a collection of comics by a local author and illustrator his name is grant snyder and the book is called the art of living reflections on mindfulness and the Overexamined life and, you know, I say he's he's local, and he is. He works as an orthodontist three days a week. But his work, it appears nationally. He has been included in, um, you know, the New York Review of Books, in The New Yorker. I mean, he's, well, he got a start in Lawrence at KU, and then he had a strip in the Kansas City Star. And I interviewed him for Marginalia, and because he's local, he got to come by the studio. And I tell you what, just go listen to those. And I love the Zoom interviews. I love being able to see the authors, but nothing beats the sound, the richness of an in-studio interview. So, for sure. And yeah. that personal, yeah, that, that personal um, connection that you make with an author, anyone that's in the room with exactly. you. Exactly. Uh, he is such, seems like such a great guy. And Everything I read about him and by him really uh, makes him sound like a complete introvert. And so it's really like sort of out of his comfort zone to talk about himself and his work. But it is so, so great. His illustrations are whimsical, mm-hmm. colorful, and he loves books. And that comes clear through his work as well. Well, and you reviewed his 
book prior to this one, which is titled I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf, which yes. I love and I do. So oh, That is a good thing to have on your bookshelf. It's just like meta. <laughs> but I love that. Is Yeah, I remember he talks about the stages of your reading life and that spoke to me so much because it's like, you know, people reading to you and then you, you know, the, the joy of, of discovering that you can, you know, experience all these stories on your own and then you go up through school and then you get burned out and I remember this sort of chasm that he that he drew with the person at the very bottom of the well like this period of your life and it it was definitely for me right after college where I was just like yeah I'm gonna just take a couple years and not read a dang thing (laughs) Um, but then you rediscover it and oh it's just it it was perfect perfectly done and this collection is all about mindfulness and I could just relate. It was almost palpable. I could feel just the tension that he's trying to work through in his life and like forcing himself to take walks, forcing himself to notice what's around him. And it, I could really just relate to that. So it's, I don't know. I just, I really recommend it. And another thing I talked to him about was, you know, I was visiting with him for radio. People could not see us. People cannot see what we're talking about. But if they didn't know I was reading, you know, a comic that had panel after panel after panel, if they would just listen, it's almost like the cadence and the and the meter, it sounds like poetry. Oh, wow. So anyway, it was interesting. And um, I, I just highly recommend it. It's The Art of Living, Reflections on Mindfulness and the Over-Examined Life by Grant Snyder. He is the creator of Incidental Comics. Yeah, and a Wichita and, resident. And, yes. So go Wichita. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. I can't wait to check that out. So my first book is, no big surprise, Wichita's Big Read this year. It was The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. And I read it several years ago, so this was a reread for me. But it was really interesting because I was asked to read it, a portion of it, as a guest reader at Jardine Middle School. So they invited me to record. It was still pretty much COVID times when this happened. They invited me to record myself reading the first chapter of that book and then sort of to talk about what reading means to me and how it is, you know, a part of my personal and professional life and all that stuff. So anyway, so I, got, I read the first chapter and I thought, oh gosh, I just got to keep going. I had forgotten <laughs> how good that book is and these interconnected stories, some of them only just like a page or two. And then the incredible spectrum of emotions that she gets to in that book is just is is wonderful and I I really love that it was a really really good choice I think for Wichita's Big Read this year and I know that it's sort of over now I think that it went through March maybe I know that Literary Feast was um, the KMUW's Literary Feast was focused on a house on Mango Street last month and they talked about that but anyway yes it's if you haven't read it yet there are many many copies around town because it was our community read and I highly highly recommend it and it was probably I haven't checked but I'm guessing it was one of the thousand books to read before you die so you know I I overheard somebody in the office saying you know it's you know this book came out 30 years ago and I thought what no I know, and it's reads and so it modern, has. too. I know. It was 30 years. Right, because the ones they were, the copies they were given away for the big read was the 25th anniversary issue oh, edition. Oh, interesting. I've not read it. I do not have a copy. I can't oh, even say I well, own I, it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you can, ding, ding, ding. No. What's the <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, you must. Yeah, and it's such a quick read, too. It's a one-sitting, uh, you, know, you love a one-sitting book. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, and, and the, the unique voice, uh, oh, this, the edition that I read also had an author's note, uh, sort of reflections back on when she wrote it, which was also 
you know, added to the to the experience. So anyway, yeah, I was glad I reread that. And I, um, I actually had the opportunity to interview her recently. She has another book out that just came what? out. Yes. It's called um, Marita, I Remember You. Wow. Yeah. I'll love to check that out. Yeah, I need, I, I need to explore her backlist a little bit more because I really love the writing. It's so amazing to me to read these classics and then to realize, oh, my gosh, the author has this whole whole spectrum of things that he or she has written. Right. I need to check those out, too. Right. So, yeah. Oh, thanks for that. Okay. What's your next read? My next read is The Love of My Life by Rosie Walsh. I actually interviewed her in 2018 for her book, Ghosted. She lives in London, I think. She's a British author. And actually, I went back and listened to my 2018 interview with her, and she was talking about her next book, and she didn't change anything at all. I mean, she said, oh, it's about this obituary writer who um, his wife is having some medical issues and he copes the only way he knows how, which is to write her obituary. But then he discovers things about her when he's like fact checking things and he discovers that she's not who she says she is at all. He doesn't know who he's been married to. What? Yeah. Yeah. And so I I was, yeah, I was talking to Rosie Walsh and she said, um, when she told me that elevator speech, she said, it's basically my elevator speech. So I, it's no wonder I didn't change anything. She said, but when I started writing it, you know, the wife was always going to die. But her editor said, no, no, you can't have her die. Wow. So she did change that. Sorry, spoiler. Oh, my God. Thanks a lot, Beth. <laughs> no, you know, no, you know from the beginning that yeah. she just received a clear screening for her cancer. Well, they... Uh, they, she writes, Ghosted was a thriller, right? Psychological Ghost, thriller? Or kind of. And, mystery? and she, she calls this a heartbreaking and emotional thriller. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like both heartbreaking and emotional <laughs> and thriller. I like all three. <laughs> there so. you go. Okay. Anyway, you know, and I I don't love the title. I, yeah, what is it again? It's the, the love of my life. Okay. It sounds the girl next door. What is up with these titles? I don't Beth? know. And it, it does show up several times during the writing, so it made sense after I read the book. I'm like, okay, I'll forgive her the title. Okay, sorry, it's, Rosie. It's one, no, it's one of those. <laughs> I, it's really a problem in publishing right now. Is these utterly forgettable or confusingly, you know, similar titles or. You know, this sounds like a book I wouldn't want to read. Yeah, I'm glad I read it. Oh, if that right. makes sense. Yes, because absolutely. I don't, I don't, I'm not a gushy person at yeah. all. Yeah. So when you're talking about the love of your life, right? Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. But I was glad I read it. It it read so beautifully, and the characters were so likable, oh. and that that really kind of helped me too. Anyway, oh, very good. I recommend it. The Love of My Life by Rosie Walsh. Okay, uh, Beth, I cannot wait to talk about this next book. So I read Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Beth is clutching her chest. Does that mean you also have read it? I've heard no. of it. I've been, it's on my list. All I keep hearing about is how great it is. Oh my goodness. So I heard about it actually from Kristen Gilbert, one of the owners of Exile in Bookville. She raved and raved and raved about it. Maybe Javier too, I can't yeah. remember. But you know, I the cover which is beautiful, has this, what are those characters called that are half goat, half man? <laughs> so bad at mythology. Half goat, half man? Yeah, like the, the goat, 
the goat legs and the and the and the beard and the man and the well f- the little lute that he's playing. This, I've I've what seen are, centaurs or yeah, minotaurs, but those are different. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, now I'm truly embarrassed. Anyway, half goat, half man. Let me look it up. Yeah. Um. So anyway, there's that on the cover, and I immediately thought, oh, it's like a mythology deal, and. The name didn't mean anything to me. Piranesi, what in the world is that? But then Kristen. Fawn? Fawn, yeah, I think that's what it is. F-A-U-N. Yeah, yeah, like from uh, Narnia, right? Yes. Okay, that's the one. So anyway, there's that on the cover. (laughs) Sounding like a complete dolt. Um, There's that on the cover, um, and I just thought, and it was described as, yeah. Sorry, Carly says it's that. Sater, S-A-T-Y-R, that's what it is. Okay. The cover of this book really sort of confused me because there's this satyr on the cover, if that's how you pronounce it, S-A-T-Y-R, this mythological character that's half goat, half man, playing this musical instrument you've never seen. And it's been described as this sort of sweeping, magical fantasy with this weird world. And all I knew about was that it, there was a house with infinite rooms, and I was like, eh, and eh, no. So anyway, I've been listening to a couple of other reading podcasts, and without an exception, everyone who's read this book has raved about it. They've said, you know, don't what you expect going in is not the totality of that novel, and just let it take you in, let it take you places. And I want to say that my reading experience with this novel was enriched, I mean, a dozenfold or more by I did a buddy read with my friend Kenzie. So we read it simultaneously and then compared notes along the way. And this is such a wonderful way to read this book because you get to these places where you're texting each other going, what in the H-E double hockey sticks is going on here? <laughs> I have, I mean, what, what is this? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? And we bounced theories off of one another. The writing is incredible. What you need to know, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away because you really do need to go into this novel just almost completely blind or cold or, uh, you know, not knowing too much about it. But just know that it's not just a fantasy novel. So if you're not a reader or a lover of fantasy, of pure fantasy novel, it's a mystery that sort of unfolds as you go along. And that's all I'm going to say. But there are many, many gasp-worthy moments in this novel. The writing, again, is incredible. The uh, imagery, the, the foreshadowing, the, the piecing together of these clues to get to the end. The end is very fulfilling, I thought. And the character of Piranesi, just fantastic. So I just highly recommend that's Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Um, get and, it, read it soon. And she wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Yes, which is very, very long. Piranesi <gasps> is short. It's under 300 pages. And I also have of hers, The Ladies of Grace Adieu. Oh, I've not heard of that one. But the Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, that is a brick of a book. Yeah. I'm tempted to read it. But, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in a short book uh, phase of my life right now. So, I'm, But um, I tell you what, her writing, though, was so astounding that I am, I'm tempted to pick that one up and check it out. I just really, really loved it. Anyway, Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Fantastic. Okay, so the next book I'm going to talk about is Tasha by Brian Morton. And, okay, so I've already interviewed Brian Morton, and Tasha is his mother, and the subtitle is A Son's Memoir. 
So he wrote a novel in 1991 called The Dylanist, and he he kind of wrote it about his father, and his father had recently died, and it's easy to um, kind of put whoever has died up on a pedestal, and while the whoever remains gets the brunt of whatever emotion you're throwing out. Mm-hmm. And it was easy to caricature his mother. And so she read the book, and he receives a phone call, and is <laughs> she leaves a message and says, Hi, Brian, this is your former mother. <laughs> <laughs> So he decided to write a book about her. You know, this book is it's it's really powerful because it it's nonfiction. Um, it starts out with her having a stroke. She has dementia. She doesn't understand boundaries, and she is also a hoarder. And you know, the book touches on you know elder abuse because she just really wants to go live with him, and he has been putting up these boundaries for his mother his whole life, and doesn't really want her to live with him. And, I don't know. It was really fantastic, powerful. Just a, I, I, it's, it's difficult to say I enjoyed a book like this right. because it's just, that seems Schadenfreude. We need a, yeah, we need a phrase for that. <laughs> There's like, a German word. I'm loving sure. a book that's, that's, not... <laughs> that's miserable. <laughs> Probably is Schadenfreude, yeah. but um, it's just yeah. I don't know. I, I highly recommend it, especially for you know people who maybe are approaching our age and, and we have aging parents and. I don't know. It's, All the issues. That yeah. Go that. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that is very intriguing to me. Because, yeah, that whole sandwich generation dealing with aging parents, all the issues around that. It sounds like he writes it from a place of love and, you know, caring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And also, it didn't hurt that when I, ha- when I interviewed him and I asked him to, I, you know, asked him my first question about the book. And he said, well, that's a great question. But before I say anything, I just want to say what an honor it is to be talking to you. I've, lis- I've listened to your podcast and you're wonderful. And I want to ask you. Ab- so he was like wow, interviewing la, me la. about my interview technique. Well, you're, <laughs> you're fantastic, Beth. I mean, admit it. Anyway, it ain't, was ain't bragging if it's the truth. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that authors appreciate you as much as you appreciate authors, some of them anyway. (laughs) No, that's nice. That's always nice to hear that people have at least done their research, if not, you know. Yeah, they they do. Um, Anyway, you know, I highly recommend it. The book is Tasha by Brian Morton, and it it comes out today, April 12th. Okay, awesome. And, of course, those uh, terms are relative. (laughs) Well, April 12th is not relative. (laughs) No. But today is, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, my next book is one that I reviewed for KMUW. It's Chorus by Rebecca Kaufman. Um, this is her fourth novel. Uh, I've never read any of her previous novels. But I will say that I listened to this on Libro FM, and it was just exactly what I needed the day I listened to it, which was I was doing housework, just cleaning the house all day, nothing else to do on a Saturday I put the AirPods in my ears, and I turned the vacuum on, and hours went by, and my house was clean (laughs) (laughs) because this book. You know I love a dysfunctional family story, and that's what this is. It follows Jim and Marie, uh, the Shaw family. It's set in Virginia, rural Virginia. Jim and Marie own um, a farm that is... During the Depression, uh, Jim has to you know, sell off pieces of it. They have seven children. So it's, it starts from the early 1900s, even before 1900, 
um, and it goes all the way through the 1950s, telling the story, told from multiple points of view. It almost like, and I and I've since read it described as interconnected short stories. I suppose they could be, but there was a very clear through line uh, through the novel that um, was was terrific. But you do see this story and this experience from all the different perspectives of the children, and there are, as any you know, dysfunctional family uh, novel has secrets and misunderstandings and uh, different interpretations of the same event and all those things. But it wasn't a a very uh, long novel. It's only uh, 272 pages, so it went by really quick uh, in the ear as well. I listened to most of it that day, and then I couldn't wait to finish it the next morning. So it was over a weekend that I read it and um, highly, highly recommended. It's um, Chorus by Rebecca Kaufman. My next book is Forbidden City by Vanessa Hua. And I interviewed her in 2018 as well. Her book was titled A River of Stars. And so this one, she actually started long before she started A River of Stars. It was 14 years in the making. It takes place in China in the 1960s. She saw a documentary once. It was Chairman Mao in this black and white documentary. And he was surrounded by these young, you know, dancer type things. And she was... She was just curious what's what's going on there. And so this book is told from the perspective of one of those girls. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It was really rich in detail. Um, There were so many things that I did not know, you know, about China. And that culture. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, You know, I was still, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, communism versus capitalism versus. Right. Socialism. Socialism. Right. And um, Buddhism. No, that's. But anyway, this book is um, is really it's rich in detail. It's fascinating. It's also, you know, sometimes a little bit timely. She said, although this took her 14 years to write it, you know, as she was wrapping it up, she was witnessing the Me Too movement. Right. I wondered um, if it had feminist kind of themes. Yeah. The Me Too movement, uh, COVID-19, um, Asian American hatred oh, wow. and, and yeah. hate crimes and things like that. Oh, so, my gosh. Sign me up. Right. That sounds fantastic. You know what? It's also given me... Uh, vibes of girl with a pearl earring only because you describe it as because the premise you know being there's this thing that happened I'm going to take you know a character from that thing and tell the backstory Mm -hmm. of that person girl with a pearl earring by Tracy Chevalier one of my favorite all-time favorite novels is like what's the story of that girl in that painting and that's how that's how this one sounds yeah yeah I love when authors do that um, and actually, this book was supposed to come out. We have it on the calendar. We have this. I, I've already talked to her. Um, it was scheduled to drop on April 19th. And then during the interview, she said, well, have you heard about the supply chain issue? Like the paper that was coming from Canada to oh. be printed on, what, there was a holdup. So now this is going to drop on May 10th. Okay, so so good for your summer reading. Yeah. Then pack it into your bag and wherever your travels take you this summer, you can take Forbidden City. <laughs> Another thing I talked to her about is, you know, she's a working journalist. She's a columnist for oh, the San really? Francisco Chronicle. Oh, my gosh. And so we were able to talk about the differences. You know, she's like, journalism has taught me how to meet deadlines, how to be open to editing, how to, you know, write on demand and write every day. But writing novels has helped my journalism as far as, you know, character and perspective and right. I don't know. Anyway, that was fun to talk to her about oh, that I as well. I so admire that. And now now I feel like a schmuck because I've always said, I can't write a novel because I'm a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> now, apparently people do. 
Thanks a lot, yeah. Vanessa. <laughs> so that is Forbidden City by Vanessa Hua. That's awesome. That's definitely going on my list. My next book, Beth, is so out of my wheelhouse, I cannot even describe it to you. I can because I'm going to right now. <laughs> it's called Fantastic Land by Mike Bakovin. This is amusement park horror. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm bringing this to the table today. I don't know why I picked it up, honestly. I guess I was in the mood for it because while I was reading it, it was fantastic and exactly what I needed. It was so different. The premise is there's this amusement park called Fantastic Land in Florida. A hurricane, a Category 5 hurricane hits and knocks out all power to a vast swath of land in Florida. But the developers of this amusement park say to the rescue teams, don't worry, the folks there are perfectly fine. We have planned for this. We have huge stashes of food and potable water and um, safe lodging. They're good. So there's this whole staff of uh, employees in the amusement park when the storm hits that take cover exactly the way they were trained to. They go into their emergency procedures, and then uh, it turns into Lord of the Flies. Oh, no. Yeah, so even despite, you know, there being plenty of, you know, supplies and food and everything else for everyone, it's mostly, you know, teenagers and young adults. They are um, torn away. This is one of the themes of, of the book, too, is social media, the power of social media and they're sort of, they're having withdrawal basically so they're torn away from the things they normally have to entertain themselves and it's a fantastic premise actually it's really intriguing which is why I picked it up but um yeah it turns into this brutal violent tribe against tribe territorial power struggle that um, keeps you reading now the what I will say about it is as I was reading it I just love love loved it looking back on it I'm like well that was that was good (laughs) you know it wasn't like you know like unforgettable you have to read this but one thing I loved about it and I do love this approach to novels it was told in sort of oral history fashion so it was told um, in interviews with the peop- with the survivors. Oh, wow. So, and it's in that way, it's sort of pieced together sort of Daisy Jones and the Six or, you know, any of those types of novels. And I just really, really love that approach. It's told from the point of view of a writer who's writing a book about the fantastic land, you know, murders, massacres. But uh, there's there are images. If you are a sensitive reader, if you, you know, uh, get a little queasy, um, by violence or anything like that don't don't pick this book up. it's not it's not what you need but if you like you know exciting thrilling horror stories that keep you on the edge of your seat and make you go oh my gosh I can't believe what's happening then this is right up your alley so that's Fantastic Land by Mike Bakovan. what's next on your list Next on my list is Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez oh I've heard about this one what have you heard? Oh, uh, good things. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I ju- yeah, I, I listen to a lot of reading podcasts, and this is getting some buzz. I think it comes out today as well. Mm-hmm. It's in April. I knew it was an April release, but wow. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's set in 1970s Alabama. It is a work of fiction, but it is rooted in some disturbing historical truths. Basically, the, the main character, her name is Sybil Townsend. She is a nurse. She's working at the Montgomery Family Planning Clinic. She's 22, fresh out of nursing school. One of her first cases are these two sisters. Um, Erica is the oldest in India. Erica, I believe, is 13, and India is 11. 
and she has to go out to their home to give them their second dose of some sort of birth control shot. And she discovers that India, who's 11, you know, hasn't even had her first cycle yet, and mm. yet they're giving her birth control. Mm-hmm. She starts wondering if the family is even aware of what they're getting. Because, yes, they sign their ex on the dotted line, but it's the father, because his wife died, the father and his mother, and neither one can read. Hmm. So, you know, this has to do with... It deals with abortion, I'm guessing, right? No. No? No. For, forced sterilization. Oh, right. Okay. So I do reproductive think I rights. I mean, like, they're reproductive, reproductive issues and things like that. Wow. Oh yeah, these girls are these girls are 11 and 13, and without their knowledge, without you know the the grandparent, the grandmother and the father think that that they're being taken away by the the director of this clinic for their shot. Um, the nurse discovers that they're gone, finds them in a hospital, and their tubes have been tied, mm. and they are 11 and 13. And you know, I I say this is rooted in some disturbing historical roots because this this forced sterilization has been happening for a long time you know i think the first sterilization laws in in the united states were like in 1907 in indiana and then there was like that bell versus buck which um, she mentions in her author's note which has never been overturned it's a supreme court ruling that has never been overturned and it was you know 1927 and that's the one where Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote in his argument that three generations of imbeciles are enough and they forced sterilization on somebody who you know they say that she had they they classified her as a moron but she wasn't what's crazy is that it's my understanding that in the trials at Nuremberg the Nazis were citing our laws they were paying attention to us before the Holocaust. So they didn't come up with this. Whoa. Right. So, um, and you know, this is also timely because in 2020, there was a whistleblower at the border with ICE, you know, saying that these immigrants were being forced, they were Mm -hmm. having forced sterilization on them, not understanding what was happening to them. So yes, this is set in the 70s. It actually oscillates between what she's going through in 2016 and her memories in in 1973. And it's a really powerful, powerful read. It's an indie next pick. It a lot going on there. It sounds yeah. like it's going to be a great book club book, um, but possibly, yeah, yeah, brutal realities and uh, tough topics. Yes. Okay, I'm I'm excited to read that though. I've heard, yeah, that that makes me want to read it. <laughs> sort of historical. I guess you could call it historical fiction yes. in a way, right? Yeah, I think so. And I was also reading in her author note that she believes passionately in the power of the novel and its readers to raise the alarm, influence heart and impact lives so Mm -hmm. anyway well you know fiction can can tell stories and that actually leads to a good segue to my next read actually Beth because um, you know sometimes you can hear about what's happening in real life these policy decisions these Supreme Court decisions these things that are happening in the news but you don't really um, have a sense for how it plays out in everyday life with everyday people. And m- so my next book is No Land to Light On by Yara Zagib. So she's a Middle Eastern writer. But this novel, I also, uh, the review of this one is on kmuw.org as well. So the premise of this novel is this is a, a young Syrian couple that is caught up unexpectedly and unfairly, I'll go ahead and say, in the travel ban of 2017. So when President Trump was first elected, it seems like ages ago, doesn't it? Um, He issued this 
travel ban basically not allowing the entrance or re-entrance of uh, residents of all these uh, primarily Muslim countries. So this couple, even though I mean, they're immigrants to the United States, they are awaiting their, the birth of their first child. Uh, the man's father dies, and he flies home for the funeral. And on his trip back, uh, when she goes to pick him up at the airport, there are all these protests. She doesn't understand what's going on. He gets stopped by, you know, essentially border patrol, I guess, in the airport and sent home because he's not allowed back in. And they're in this incredible limbo, um, caught up in, you know, what is essentially a political move and a political maneuver, a message to, you know, certain parts of the world or whatever. But it really, really shows, this novel really shows how that can affect the lives of real people. So I I really loved it. Um, Again, the, the author is Yara Zagib. The chapters, I want to say, are super short. You know, I, I read some readers, myself included, like to know that going in. So yeah, the pace of it is is really uh, quite quick. Again, it's not a not a huge novel. I think it is three hundred and four pages. It's been described as Exit West meets an American Marriage. Oh, wow. I've, having read both those books, I concur. <laughs> Um, it's a really, really good description uh, without the magical realism that Exit West had. What it does have is descriptions of, so, so the, the woman character, Sama, uh, is working on her dissertation at Harvard. She has come to the United States for school. She's working on her dissertation at Harvard on the migratory patterns of these, this certain shorebird. So the story of these immigrants is woven together with these excerpts from her dissertation, which talks about these birds and why they travel and the challenges they meet along the way. So it's really beautiful imagery there, too. Um, so that is No Land to Light On by Yara Zagib, and that's spelled Z-G-H-E-I-B. I do want to mention, you know, you mentioned Exit West had the magical realism. And it was only, to me, it was only the portal. Right, that's right. And he, did, I talked to him for that book, and he said he did that because, you know, he didn't want it to be about the journey of getting there. It's whatever happened when they were trying to leave and when they arrived. So, uh, so I don't know. I kind of like that. cut to the chase. Yes. As yeah. opposed to like the Underground Railroad, Colson Whitehead's Underground Railroad, which is it's all about, about the, journey. the journey. Right, right. Interesting. We're just dropping all kinds of book titles in here, aren't we? Got to get that list long. <laughs> What's your next one? My next one, my last one mm-hmm. is Macbeth. Oh. You know, I'm going to, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Did you love it? Yes. <laughs> Who is this William Shakespeare you speak of? <laughs> Has he written anything else? Just a couple of things. <laughs> uh, you know, some sonnets here and there. Uh-huh. A couple of plays. Yeah. But I read it for class. You know, I'm taking this um, critical studies in film, and we are studying all of these films based on Shakespeare. And I read the play just so I could understand some of the films and understand where they deviate from the play and when they, you know, when they leave things out. Um, I do have to tell you, because you know I like to listen and read at the same time. Yes, which I do too now. So I, I got the um, Smart Pass book. It's, What's that? It's a version of the audiobooks where, you know, they have these dramatic actors reading the audiobook. And, you know, they'll get to the end of the line. And this, this British narrator, this woman, will come on and say, Okay, now pay attention to here because the last line that the witches just said is echoed by Macbeth in the next scene. What? Or or she'll say, "Okay, this eagle, 
this is the first mention of the birds. So just pay attention to all of the mention of the birds. I need that I in know. my life. Where was this in 1989 when the, I was taking Shakespeare at the, NC State University? <laughs> or she'll come on and she'll say, okay, now everything in Macbeth is in threes. So pay attention to the threes. The witches. It, yes. Uh, it's just fun. Oh, my God. It sounds like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 <laughs> meets Shakespeare. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's how I got through a few of my Shakespeare plays when I actually took just Shakespeare class. That is such a great tip. What are those called again? Smart Pass. Uh, just like Disney World. No, that's the <laughs> Fast Pass. <laughs> Not to be confused with Epcot's Fast Pass. <laughs> what I love also is as you're reading along, you're like, oh, that's where that phrase comes from. Wow. Like things yes, that because I, the little voice, literally the little voice in your head is explaining. She's like, this thing. is the first time this phrase ever appeared. Uh, and so she's like, British, which yeah. makes her sound immediately yes. smart. And she's very excitable. Uh. Like something wicked this way comes and, you know, double, double, toil and trouble. Macbeth, who would have thought? Right. Did you know that? You probably knew that. I didn't. I knew double, double, toil and trouble. Well, and one of the phrases that I, I did not know came from Macbeth, and it only recently has significance to me, is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which is the name of the new Gabrielle Zevin book. And she wrote... The storied life of A.J. <laughs> Fickery. And there we go. Boom. <laughs> In the last Hail Mary pass of the game, we are able to weave in that wonderful novel, The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery. I can't wait to read her new one. I do have a copy of it. I'm just sort of, you know, with Gabrielle Zevin books, I'm just kind of like, I will start this when I can read the whole thing at once because I don't want to put it down. Yeah. I can't wait. tomorrow. So that's from Macbeth, Tomorrow yeah. and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Yep. So, so much. Oh, Shakespeare. That's my last one. Okay. What do you have? My last one is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, but it's new, and that is To Kill a Mockingbird, the graphic novel. Oh, wow. So, you know, one of the categories of the Read ICT Challenge this year is to reread a favorite book. I'm going to use this as that. I'm going to count, count it, as I like to say. <laughs> Uh, because this was such a wonderful way to re-explore that novel. I obviously read it if once, at least twice, I think, um, but it was years ago. And the novel has been, you know, talked about here more recently is, you know, as sort of problematic. Um, the whole white savior narrative, right. all of that stuff going on. So I did want to read it again in this time and place uh, to see, you know, how it spoke to me. But the art in this, so I've become kind of a collector now of classics in graphic novel form. So since, uh, so I read To Kill a Mockingbird and I've since purchased 1984, the graphic novel, and Animal Farm, the graphic novel. So, you know, I brought Dune in a previous episode, I believe. And I just have to say, this is a great way to explore classic literature in a new way. And I think these artists are to be commended for taking this work and I think this uh this artist and excuse me while I look up his name Fred Fordham and he really respects the novel itself uh he doesn't pull any punches he doesn't change language Uh, you know there's a lot of talk about you know the n-word in the novel it's it's you know it is set in a specific time and place in the south and but he so meticulously draws, you know, the you know, the whole Boo Radley mystery and the dark house. And you think of when you think of that novel, you, and it's a beloved, you know, the favorite, right? Isn't didn't it win Great American oh, Novel think, and PBS? I think you're right, yeah. Um, everyone's you know favorite novel from childhood and high school. Um, but there's so many visually impactful, you know, sort of visual scenes from that novel. And Scout, of course, being the child narrator 
just wonderfully portrayed in in visual form, and I really, really enjoyed it. So that is um, To Kill a Mockingbird, a graphic novel, the novel, of course, by Harper Lee, the graphic novel part by Fred Fordham. So that sounds like a good place to stop. I know. You have a news meeting to get to. So. I know. Wow. I guess we just went on and on about our reads, but this was fun. Yeah, it was. We had some good stuff. So Okay. All right. Well, until next time, Beth. Keep turning those pages. Bye-bye. Bye. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Stancer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org. Thank you.